Hello, my friends. Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. I am the aforementioned Sean Arnold, here for another quarantine-filled fun evening with a friend of mine, uh, an accomplished individual. Um, He is an attorney. He owns the premier legendary, you've heard of it before, comedy club in atlanta the punchline he's a comedian himself um he's pretty lazy obviously by all the few things that he does but i'm really excited to talk to him about a lot of stuff a guy i've known for a long time and a and a and a really prominent person in the community here in atlanta jamie bendel my man how you doing what's going i'm doing all right how about you man i am living that life i'm living that long hair life we were talking pre-show about the hair you have got a nice quaff going on as well sir I, uh, my hairstyle is for those who haven't seen me before and maybe aren't going to take the time to look up what I look like. Uh, my haircut could best be described for the majority of my adult life as, um, future nominee. Uh, it is, it is tight, parted, limited product. (laughs) Not anymore. Not with that. No thing. more. No, no. I am. Uh, I look like. I look like the guy that should be in the hold of the Cornelia Marie on Deadliest Catch, <laughs> and they'd be like, "Who is the Greenhorn?" Wait, so, like I don't know. So, some be, dude that showed up during the pandemic. The best part is you got the facial hair going too. So like right now, you're like got the, like you've got like a full on. You could go mountain. You can go undercover. What I'm saying is, you should call the FBI and see if you need to go undercover in a militia. Like, okay. I, I think you'd be fine there. No joke. <laughs> I, we were, we were, uh, we recently spent some time up in Vermont and, uh, we were playing in a backyard wiffle ball game <laughs> with my niece and nephew, my girls, my brother. And I, uh, it was my turn at bat. I asked my wife to record my at bat because, uh, I need content for social media and I figured, <laughs> ripping a wiffle ball into the national forest would be sweet content. And uh, she screwed it up um, and captured the between swing portion. But there's one portion where I literally look like the picture of Bigfoot, where between my facial hair, this bushy hairdo that I've got, and the way that I'm striding, I look like Bigfoot in a bathing suit. So have you fallen in love? Like, so do you like the hair or are you like, man, I cannot wait to get rid of this when all this is over? All right. I am. And I don't, I don't know where, what, how much ground we're going to cover tonight in these <laughs> things. So I'm just going all in, all in. on the, I love it. all in on the confessional portion of it. <laughs> I like it. Breaking news. My world has been upended, right? My, I have a business I can't run. I have no stage on which I can tell jokes. The courthouses are changing the way they do things. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've been in real estate for a little bit. You're, that changed for a little while. You know, that's sort of the most normal back to thing. Um, I am embracing getting outside my comfort zone to adjust to what I think my new life is going to be like. And I got to tell you, 
not liking the way my hair looks is kind of part of that. <laughs> well, th- that's, I mean, this is, so I just taped a podcast uh, a couple of days ago with a guy named Trey Humphreys, who you may know, yeah, the, you know, know for, for us, right? Yeah. We talked a lot about this, about, you know, the, the benefits of sort of getting outside the box, um, especially as we get older. Cause I mean, the reality is I think as you get older, you tend to, your routines become a lot more, you know, set. Um, and yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's growth in those, those squidgy places, you know, where you can sort of take a look at things and say, all right, well, this is a convention that I hadn't thought about, even thought about. And now maybe I'm going to push that convention. All right. So, uh, here's how I would characterize that. And again, it's not fully fleshed out, so it may sound like the prologue to a manifesto, but, um, <laughs> well, you look like a guy that would give me a manifesto. I could, I've been in the cabin. I've That's been up it. in the cabin. I've been writing. Um, there is only one box that none of us escape. And that's the last box we go into. Yeah, that's right. In our life. So really, our whole lives are spent outside the box. And it's a process of figuring out what's the life you want to live before you are forced into a box that no one escapes. That is, yeah, that is very um, sage. And I agree um, as a guy that went through the almost dying bit a couple of years, two years ago. right? You just had your anniversary, <clears throat> two years, man, which is hard to believe. Holly and I were saying, it's like, it's only two years, but it feels like an eternity, right? Just because when yeah. you go through it, but yeah, I mean, I've been trying to live that life ever since that. I mean, the COVID has been a, a game changer and there are certainly things, but I mean, I, I've, that's something I've ultimately tried to embrace. I mean, really, because I'm like, as, as, I don't mean this to sound macabre or macabre if you say it like it's spelled. Yeah. You um, say, yeah right. Or, uh, but you know, I feel like I'm on bonus time a little, right? Like I, I could have checked out, you know, and it's like, man, when you think about it that way, better squeeze out what you can squeeze out, you know? Well, it's, it's, I think the other thing, so I have this watch. I've got a, it's called a happiness watch, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's, and when you get it and you take it out of the box, you basically on the screen answer, it goes through like some prompts. What country do you live in? How old are you? How often do you exercise? Do you smoke? How much do you do? You know, whatever. It gives you basic, like almost like you're filling out life insurance kind of thing. Yeah. And, and then it basically tells you how much time you, from a actuarial standpoint you have left and it starts counting down. So Right. And the whole instruction manual of the book uh, talks about how cultures and different societies and their relationship to time. And it basically said and it's really and so I have had friends that be like, dude, you're wearing your death watch and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, uh, it, it really isn't about that. It's a reminder that when you wasted 25 minutes on hold with Comcast or whatever it is, you're like, this is I am squandering time. I am never getting back. Uh, and I should be focused on the things that bring me happiness in life, you know? And, and I think sometimes, uh, I think that there's value in the phrase simple pleasures, right? And that there's a great amount of happiness to be, um, that is potentially available to you in life that isn't necessarily, um, correlated to extravagance, you know? Um, and I think sometimes people, people, uh, get that a little bit mixed up. You know, there's tremendous value in sitting in an Adirondack chair with somebody you care about in the backyard. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, passage on the QE2 over the Atlantic. <laughs> to, you know. 
Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I think it's also, I mean, the genesis of this podcast is rooted in that very idea, right? Like I love exploring with people having substantive conversations, you know what I'm saying? Like not talking about like how the Braves did or what the weather is. I mean, I'll have those conversations, but to be able to talk to people about their life and what they're doing and how they feel and what they believe like that it, to me is time well spent. Right. Because I'm, yeah. I'm nourished from it. Right. Like I learn yeah. and I, and I, I feel and, and that's the whole genesis of this was just like, I've got time on my hands. I like doing this. And it used to always be sort of sequestered into, you know, you go to parties or get togethers one out of eight of those. It's a circumstance where you can like meet someone interesting and go sit in a corner and have 20 minutes of conversation. You know, maybe it's someone, you know, maybe it's a new person when you're not shaking hands or being a host or, you know, my wife's dragging me around trying to make me taste food and whatever the shit she does. And, you know, and it's like, wow, what if I could just dedicate time to that instead of it being this thing that just sort of happens on a whim? Like, what if I could go make it happen? Like, what if I could manifest it? And then one, right. f- one further, what if I could codify it and 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 save it? So not only I could revisit it, but perhaps if other people were interested, so could they. And that's where this came from. Well, and it gets you thinking, you know, I, I think it is interesting to... So you, So look at the time periods when most people do that in their lives. Right. If you if you go away to school, if you if you ever lived in a dorm and that kind of stuff like that's a that's kind of a time period where you're trying out maybe different personalities and you're li- realizing that there are people that really came from different upbringings, upbringings maybe than you had. Um, and there's something freeing about that. And I think it's driven by the fact that you have this perception that I've got nothing but time. Right. So, of course, I can I can sit here for two hours on a Tuesday afternoon and talk about whatever. Right. Um, And then I think it happens again when people get later in life where you realize that that the maybe the clock is running out. Right. And that it's not there isn't so much time left. And what am I going to do with it? And you realize that either you've accumulated some knowledge over time or you recognize the gaps that exist in the knowledge that you do have. And uh, you want to explore some of those things. We waste the middle portion of our life talking about utter nonsense. <laughs> sure. and, it, and it drives me nuts, right? I, I, I want to know. I'd way rather have an engaged conversation uh, and, and I like being curious about stuff. Um, and it's, it's really from a comedic standpoint, I love doing like the corporate gigs and stuff that I get to do because I find interesting things out. Like, and I'll give you an example just cause it's a, it's a silly one, but pertinent to kind of what we're talking about. I went and did a gig for, um, a business that runs a car wash college. So they do like a seminar and training for people that own car washes. Okay, so we do this gig, we do the whole thing, great group of guys, great gig, we're sitting around after the gig, I'm sitting at a table, and we got talking about autonomous vehicles. And I said, so what do you think? How's that going to change your business? And these guys were as jazzed as people could be about the future of driverless vehicles because they felt that they could turn their businesses into 24-hour businesses. So I come home from work, and I tell the car, go get washed before the morning. 
and the car <laughs> takes itself and it runs itself through the car wash and back it comes to the house. And in the morning, my car's been cleaned, right? But that conversation led to all of those services that then could be automated. So now, really, the service department at the Chevy dealership is an overnight service department, right? You can send the car or you go to the office, the car takes itself, right? Like, take it to get the tires changed, take it like it was just such a crazy conversation <laughs> to hear how these guys went and how it was going to change their industry and kind of change their business. And I was all in because <laughs> it was totally outside anything that I knew about anything else. Now, the other conversations I want to have with people, because I'm fascinated about them, is, is talking with somebody like yourself to go, okay, you've brushed way closer up to end of life than I ever had. How scary is that, really? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, what is that like when you go, okay, I have some cognition because everybody's had the pretend conversation to be like, Hey, you want to know if something bad's happening to you or you just want to get run over by a bus. Right. <laughs> sure. And I'm sure that there's some moment where figuratively speaking, yes, there was a striking of the bus, obviously when everything initially went down, but then any number of touch and go moments where you're like, Oh, is that the bus coming down the street? Yeah. And how do I get out of the middle of the road? Yeah. Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> so one, and again, I don't, you know, one thing too, is I don't know, all I know is my experience. So I'll tell you what I experienced. I don't know if everybody reacts this way. And, and, and I will do caveat because talking to my doctor and sort of the post event, you know, she gave me some insight on how other people react to things as well. So I do know people react differently, but I can tell you this. Mine was like where I hit the ground, severe pain, you know, called 911, something's wrong. I will tell you that in that moment, in that time, I was not thinking about I'm dying, right? Like my brain and from people I've talked to, this seems to be a common thread, starts to break itself down into very micro incremental, ta like you are not thinking about the universe, Right. You're thinking about, and for me, like I was having trouble breathing, you know, so I'm like, focus on, like, you got to breathe, right? You got to breathe. How long before the ambulance gets here, right? Can, who's going to call my wife, right? Like, right. very micro, right? I'm not thinking about myself in the context of dying. I'm thinking about what are all the things that need to happen, right, for me to start mm -hmm. dealing with this particular problem, Right. Once I'm in the ambulance, I'm I'm listening. I'm trying to listen because I'm in terrible pain and I'm trying to listen to the EMTs. They're talking to me. I'm super focused on the micro. So then at that point, I've basically have a blackout period for about seven weeks. So I couldn't tell you what I was thinking. I mean, I was obviously very disoriented. My wife can tell you about that, but there was no mental processing that I'm aware of that was going on mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. So then you wake up. So again, at the time, to your point, where I feel like if someone was like hit with, like, oh no, like, like if you were like if you fell out of it, like if, if your parachute didn't open, or I don't know how, but I don't think you would be all of a sudden think. I think you would start working through this micro process of like, is there anything I can do? Can I do? You know what I'm saying? Until finally, you just get to that point where right. it's over. After the fact. um, and don't get me wrong, like my wife will tell you, like I had moments of frustration. I mean, I threw a cell phone across a room. I don't remember doing that, but there were several people there um, because I couldn't talk. 
and I couldn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a trach in, I couldn't mm-hmm. write. One of the, a side note, one of the weirdest things I experienced, Holly hand, gave me a, a legal pad um, not too long ago. And it's me where I was trying to communicate and it was either just li- like scribbles, like a mm-hmm. three-year-old, or it was like, you know, the purple unicorn ate Cheerios on a, you know, sitting on right. a, on a teapot. It just didn't yeah. make any sense at all. Right. And, um, but as I started to get cognizant, this funny thing is, is so, so again, when you come out of it now, again, you're very micro, right? I'm like, for me, it was like, okay, I've got all these tubes. I'm on a cadence of medicine. I have to, ch- these bandages have to get changed. The, right. Like you're just trying to figure out the right. process and not think when you finally settles down and you start thinking about it. And this is where my doctor weighed in. Um, people go two ways. Um, they become very despondent. They get depressed. Everything is really bleak and black. They, you know, they, and they go through depression, right? They deal with all sure. the mental. Um, and to your point, they start to consider their own mortality, which exactly what you're saying. Most human beings never really think about what that means, right? They've had the sort of funny conversations. They've never really addressed it head on, right? It's yeah. all been very surface. It hasn't been like an actual internalization of what it is. Right. And that wrecks them. Right. Because they don't use. And then you start thinking about meaning and what's life all about. And it questions your faith. If you hit, that's your thing or whatever it is. Sure. Um, me, I was very lucky because I, when my father, my father died four years before, um, I got sick mm-hmm. and that was when I had my hit in the face with mortality thing. Mm-hmm. Losing my dad made me start thinking about, Oh shit, I'm going to die one day. Right. And right. I got real depressed and did that. And I was in therapy for two years to get through it. Right. So, but for me, my mind went to honestly, I was grateful. I was laying in that bed in the worst shape. You couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't walk. And my mind was around, I'm still here. Right. And thank God, Yahweh, Allah, Papa Smurf, whoever you want to thank that that's the case. I got work to do. (laughs) Right. And so I think that my prior experience with addressing mortality allowed me to be in a place where I could say, and, and to your point, like people say, you know, like right now I lost my pancreas. I'm effectively type one diabetic. I have medic. I have to get myself shots every day. You know, my life is, it hasn't, now don't get me wrong. You look at someone that like lost their legs in Iraq, you know, or something. It's not that level of life change, but my life changed some, it's not super convenient, but if the trade-off for me still being vertical is give myself three or four shots a day, like sold, right. where do I, right. right? Like, where do I sign up for that? Right. So, you know, again, so I, isn't that interesting how that works though? Right. Cause you think about, so there's, so in the, in the world where that, that reality doesn't exist, it's easy to be dismissive and be like, dude, I would never want to live like that. <laughs> and then if you're really actually given the choice and being like, well, no, this is the choice. You're either alive or you're not. And all of a sudden people go, eh, actually, that sounds like a pretty, pretty decent way to live. Like, you know, now that you give me a chance to think about it, I think I can wrap my head around that. Do you think that your background, though, from a professional standpoint, that sort of step-by-step, line-by-line, almost like systems analysis, kind of, do you think those two things, in other words, your way of assessing that problem 
is what makes you effective in a professional context? Or do you think your professional experience says, I just got to go through this and I know it's fix step one, then it get me to step two, that kind of thing? Interesting question. I'd never thought about it that way. Um, perhaps um, I'd maybe have to, you know, but my gut says it wasn't necessarily so much professionally informed as it was like lizard brain, right? Like I, I felt like it was a little, now perhaps you can say people are wired differently and someone that isn't so tactical, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I feel like it was more about a normal checklist that your, your lizard brain just says, uh Oh, right. We're in, it's like fight or flight, right? Like that's just a, that's just a back of the head thing that's in there. Yeah, right? You go core functions, right? right? You're basically like, so here's what we're going to do. We, <laughs> we, this is what we need to work. Yeah. We got to have, we got to keep, we got to keep blood flowing. We got to keep oxygen coming and going and we'll worry about the fact that your ankle is twisted later. Cause I would even argue, and now this is a question that I want to ask to someone that knows, I would even argue that even if you took someone unlike me that does do work in a world where you have to be very systematic and tactical about how you do things. Um, even if you took the most emotionally dramatic person in the world, my instinct tells me that they would go through the same process, right? Like, because I think that you're, I honestly believe that your body wants to live. Your brain wants to survive. I understand there yeah. are mental scenarios where people obviously take their own lives and that can, but in that moment where it's not a conscious process or decision, like wham, you're just right. in this scenario. I believe that we are programmed to, to try to survive. Right. And, and I think that any, I believe that any person would then, now again, they may not be sophisticated enough to necessarily work the problem, right? If it was a different, like a child, for example, right? Like a child can't go through the, like I knew, right? Like, okay, 911. And I was actually thinking about the fire station is, is 1.5 miles from, right? You know what I mean? Like I knew yeah. I, that sort of stuff right, was going so, through my head. So check this out. The, okay. So, uh, I've I to talk about what you're talking about. Uh, I, I've got I've had this thing. I don't know if it's age related or it's me because John Heffern actually does a pretty funny joke about it. But I've had this thing where um, we wind up um, like if I eat something the wrong way, like it's just like we're going to hang out right here. <laughs> sure. And um, and I've had a moment. So it's not like I can't breathe. Right. It's just I know it's stuck. Right. So I can I can breathe. But it is this moment of like, "Mm, this could maybe go either way. (laughs) Right. And there have been times where I've literally been in my own house. I've had it happen. And I have gone out into the driveway so I can go stand in the middle of the road that if it turns out that this is not going to work out, I want to be in some place where somebody is going to find me and be like, hey, why is Jamie laying in the middle of the street? Right. And it's and again, I think that that's sort of a random, weird, like triage. Of, <laughs> I don't think that's uh, weird. OK. Right. Like I, I need to fix I need to try to fix this some way. You well, know? and another story of a guy that we know, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to like put his sure. shit out there right on. There is HIPAA, there is HIPAA regulations. Yeah. Medical wanna, stuff. But suppose, yeah. we know a guy who was in the driveway in his car and had a stroke. Oh, yeah. And his process was to get his own self to the hospital because he wasn't sure, right? right? 
But again, like I think that most humans in that moment, if you if you gave someone that problem in a board game format, right, they would panic and you wouldn't. But like, honestly, like like it ha- it's happening. You triage, you evaluate, you triage, you right. try to figure out what you got to do. And the takeaway was I got to get myself somewhere, even though I'm in the midst of this really serious medical event. And that's what he did. Like, and I feel like yeah. it reinforces my thing. It's like, what's all right. I got a problem here that I got to solve or I'm going to die possibly. Right. So right. how do I, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. you know, and that's how it resolved itself. So, but yeah, I, I don't, there are, there are, we're not, I'm glad that I landed on the grateful bit because I think that it's also allowed me to open up to a lot of other things in my life that I wouldn't necessarily have opened up to. Yeah. And, you know, sort of just to your point, have recognition of these things. They've always been there. You just generally to like when you're younger, it's the old quote, right? Why is youth wasted on the young? Right. So, right. But now it's like, just like, I'm like, I've got vision, like I'm, I've got vision, a vision that I did not have before, right? I've got a wider field of view. So, so instead of ignoring these weird things out in the corners, if I need to, occasionally I'm going to look at those things and go, wait a second, what's this thing? Is this worth exploring? (laughs) So, but I think if everyone could get a little of that, you know, and honestly, like, I feel like perhaps hopefully the quarantine thing maybe sort of artificially creates some of those conditions because quite honestly, like a lot of the chaff right relative to the wheat in life is, is, is in the daily grind and, you know, sort of, I need to go out and I got to go do this and I got to go do that. And all of a sudden you have all this time where some of those things are taken away. It allows people to start thinking about, well, what else is there? Right? Like all of these routine things, right? Even if it's just like, I don't have a commute anymore and that's, there's an hour and a half of my day that all of a sudden is just available. Right. What am I doing with that? Right. right? And why and why have I been doing it the other way? Right. So you go, I don't I don't want to go back to that. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the biggest, you know, not to not to dwell too much on the p- pandemic stuff. Um, it's fascinating to me how brief a time period it's really existed and how unusual it is to be confronted by a new medical riddle, right? And I, and I feel like we, we've done a really good job of kind of creating, I don't want to say they're always binary, but w- we've created these scenarios where, uh, you, you know, we're doing a better job on breast cancer. We're doing a better job on this. And so while the diagnosis of those individual things are unfortunate and terrible and heart-wrenching in certain instances where they happen to those people, we've kind of processed it and we put it in a bucket and we know what to do with it. This thing, I don't know that anybody's really got a place to put it. And, and I think that's really what's sort of crazy challenging about um, what the future is going to look like. Because I, I was talking to a buddy recently, and I said, "Dude, I feel like we're still in the top of the first inning of this thing. Like, who That's knows true. what this is going to look like a year from now? You know, um, and how things might change. You know, 
And that, and that, I think, kind of to your point, you either go in the direction of, I'm grateful that I'm still here and I have an opportunity to be a part of that. And then there's another that says, I can't get out of my own head that my life is never going to be the way that it used to be. And, I, and I'm going to fight that fight and, and arguably waste a lot of time fighting a fight that I'm not saying it's not worth fighting, but it maybe isn't necessarily the most productive use of your time. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, and honestly, there are people that embrace change and people that just absolutely despise it. Right. And so that's also going to come into like your own sort of personal DNA, you know, mental DNA. Um, But, but also I think, and this is another thing for me that I'll, I try to challenge now in retrospect is, is I think that as a species, so let me back all the way up. What I was going to say before is the learning though, from me, from taking this away to your point about dealing with it is, is that, Force of will is perhaps the most powerful, right, thing in the universe, right? Like, just your own, like, I'm going to take this foot and put it in front of this other foot, and I'm going to move in that direction. That is, in its basic science, is your brain sending an electrical, you know, command down your leg to the muscles to go, but right. if that step is maybe stepping off of a bridge with a bungee cord attached to you or stepping um, into a new out of an office where you just quit or step, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or a yeah. step towards telling your boss through the, the back door of a church where there's some woman standing at the other end, right? Like there are any, any of those things where you just go, okay. And that to your point, what I think is really fascinating about that is I think what you realize, so the computer that I'm talking to you on, right, I, I'm convinced I'm using probably 1% of what this computer is able to do, right? Maybe, yeah. But, but I'm using what works for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting fulfillment out of it. And some other person is going to say, there's so much other stuff that you could be doing with this machine. And, and arguably, the computer and I don't mean to turn the computer into a sentient being, but <laughs> the the computer wants to do it. it. You know what I mean? So in the same way that we we have these amazing machines that we inhabit, right? And 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 that basic notion of one foot in front of the other can can take you that same commute every ninety minutes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever it is, or it can take you around the world. It's up to you and the machine will go as far as you want to take it. And also that most of our constraints are not permanent or impasse. Right. Like, so again, like I I don't want to oversell it. Like, you know, so for example, if your spinal cord is severed and you're paralyzed from the waist down, I'm not suggesting that you can just make your brain fix your legs. Right. Or correct. Or if you are if you are an alcoholic, right, or a drug addict and you have a chemical thing going on, right, that it's just like, well, just quit. Right. Like that's those are different. But aside from those things, I think that most things people have constructed walls. They've built their own prison. Right. Like it's like so, for example, if you have. Um, uh, uh, you're unhappy with your body type, you know what I mean? Or if your last doctor's visit, your numbers weren't where they wanted to be. Um, 
or you see people painting and you on TV or cooking on the food network and you really want to do it, but, but you have convinced yourself, I can't, I wouldn't be good at it. Right. Those are things where the force of will argument come in. And I'm just saying like, you can have those things. You just have to write, make your brain (laughs) go do right. Like, if you want a better body type, start walking every day. Start, you know, if you if you want to be like those numbers, go to McDonald's one less time a month. You know what I mean? Buy a vegetable, right? Like, well, right. So, but the but so what's so uh, we? I love the idea, and I think it's a chat, right? And I and I uh, I'm guilty of it myself, and it's kind of again, it's kind of where I am with where everything is. So in the so world. am I. So am right I. Now. We all are. Um, and I'm really trying to explore this notion of I recognize that change is coming in my life, right? So my girls, my youngest is a sophomore in high school. I'm fairly close to being an empty nester, right? I have a one of my parents has got a health issue that's going on right now that I recognize that my time with that parent is getting shorter, right? And shorter than I want it to be. And I know that that's out there looming, right? Um, and I, and I recognize one of the ways I'm managing some of that is on this vacation, I'm going to commit to riding a hundred miles on the beach. Right. And I'm not, and, and, and I'm going to do that by going 20 miles a day. Right. And I, and I know that it's doable. And then when I do it, I go, see, just do it. It's not always comfortable. It's not always your first choice, but it is doable. Just like 99% of the other things that you want in life that are either a task or a treat, right? They're, they're just do them, just do them. Um, and, and you, and you figure it out. And I think that sometimes the person who says, uh, you know, I don't, I to use the example to go like, boy, I've let my body change or, you know, um, if you, if you exclude the fact that, uh, I would like to think that I'm as, uh, you know, visually appealing as I was <laughs> when I was younger, right? The reality is, is I'm older, right? I look older, you know, um, and that will continue to change over time. We all get old, right? We're all gonna, we're all gonna be different, but it doesn't mean that, you know, at some point I may say, I, I, I may be 80 and go, I'm going to ride my bike five miles this vacation. It's dropped from 100 to five. But I like being on my bike. I like the mental escape. I like the stuff. And a, and a mile on my bike may be as freeing to me at that age as 10 miles is today. Of course. You know? And can uh-huh. I say for the record that I think you're 10 times sexier with that hair? So, oh yeah, so, I, I am killing so, it. So I wouldn't worry. Think about yeah. being less attractive, um, yeah. but no, and that's ah, that's what, okay. So hang on, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I got to tell you, this. we haven't talked. So you're gonna. Uh, so I did start going to the gym. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I I am I am now a person who goes to the gym, although not obviously with the COVID that's changed a little bit of it. All right. So I ride a recumbent bicycle, which of the bicycles is. Um, it's like the PBS of bicycles, right? It's a little bit quirky. Um, (laughs) Not everybody rides. Uh, But so I had a recumbent bike at the house. I would ride, I would read a magazine and I have a habit 
uh, and I'm telling tales to myself, I, I like to read an actual physical magazine, all right? Um, but before I read the magazine, I rip out all the, all the card stock ads. So all the cologne samples, all the fashion, whatever it is, like if I'm reading an Esquire magazine or something, right? I rip all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. I joined this gym. At the gym on a recumbent bicycle. And if you ever want to be invisible <laughs> at the gym, ride the recumbent bicycle. Nobody makes eye contact with anybody <laughs> who's sitting on a recumbent bicycle. Okay? And usually they're off in a corner, right, where, where they, don't, they don't even want to let you know that they have them. For those that don't know, so the I, recumbent bicycle is the one where you're basically in a chair and there's pedals. Yeah. So you're not sitting up on a bike seat. It's a chair with pedals. Not upright. Nope. You're lean back. You're doing your thing. Lean back, feet out in front of you, (laughs) pedaling. Okay. So one morning, I go to the gym. I sit down. I've got my magazine. I'm reading my magazine on the bike next to me, the other recumbent bike. Sits an old man, (laughs) like old man. And he pulls out of his bag a magazine. And he starts ripping out all of the cardstock ads, right? And I thought, I think this is me. (laughs) Come back from the future, and I'm about to tell myself something. (laughs) Like, this was such a... He's going to give you the sports almanac so you can make them. (laughs) Right? He's going to lean in and be like, so listen... In order for the coalition to survive, <laughs> you can't go to Chinese tonight, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I can't tell you anything more than that. <laughs> Please tell me right? you were working this into your routine because this is no, an amazing no, no, bit. No, you, no, this needs telling, to go into yeah. your, this is a bit. This is a very funny bit. You should flesh it out. This is a real life experience. <laughs> but I did realize in thinking about that, that, we have, and it kind of goes to this existence thing and, and, and kind of age stuff, right? When you're, when you're, when my girls were like eight and 10 and we would go to the beach, the beach that we go to has lifeguards and the lifeguards are basically college age, mostly boys, although some girls and, and the, 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 area around the lifeguard stand is teeming with kind of preteen girls trying to catch the eye of the boys that are the lifeguards. Right. And, but those girls are invisible to the lifeguards, right? Cause they're 11 and 10 and 12, like, and they're 20. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden they become, visible so they turn 18 and now it's like the same kid that they ignored so literally i've watched my daughter go from 8 to 18 trying to catch the lifeguard's attention and suddenly she appears and then at some point she disappears from view again because lifeguard figuratively stays 20 and she becomes 35 <laughs> right. right and you and you lose visibility but the 35 year old is now visible right um, so for, for me being my age, there are only certain people who would see me, 
right? And that, and that, who they would from a from a notice perspective, right? The the the, and I've had buddies who are late forties, and it's like sixty year old women don't see them, mm-hmm. and thirty year old women don't see them, right? Because it's just that's not where they're focused at, you know. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I don't know. No, I no, it's it's fair. I mean, but again, I mean, I so the to me the overarching point of all of this, right, is that there is a but there's a I think what I was driving at earlier with the the talk about force of will is there is there are many elements of our life that we have ceded control where you can take that control back if you want to totally. Right. So if you're not visible to somebody you want to be or some group that you want to be visible to, some people will resign themselves to the fact that, well, this societal construct that's sitting around me that I can't see or feel or touch, but I believe it's there, will just say, well, there's nothing I can do. I will remain invisible or I can do something to make myself visible or I can do something to go. And so that's what I'm saying. And and if and if again and the other thing I've learned is, is that because I. I talked to people that went through near death experiences before I went through mine. I had conversations with people about sucking carpe diem, you know what I mean? Sucking the marrow out of life. And I don't know if it can be taught. Like that's the thing that's, that's crazy is like, I've talked to people about this and they nod their head at you, but I don't see people fun. And I was the guy that was nodding my head 10 years ago when people were telling me that going, sure. Yep. Sure. You're yep. Got it. Going to do that. And then it just doesn't, so I, so I don't even know, though, if it's something that can be parlayed. I think maybe people just have to have an event, and I hope it's not that event. I hope it's not what I went through. I wouldn't wish it on sure. anyone. But, yeah. you know, there's there's got to be, I think, something to kick the chair, right? Like, you know, otherwise, I don't know that people hear it. I don't know that people hear what I'm trying to say. Well, so it's the catalyst moments, though, and they're not, and you can see them coming. Right. So I was and this sounds so foolish now into this year. So for me, we when we had around New Year's, we had this whole discussion about, you know, it's the start of a new decade and whatever. And and so I I was saying in my case, 2000, 2010 was a decade of change for me. I got married. We had our children, bought a house bought a business. There was a lot going on in those 10 years. But really, 2010 to 2020, it was a pretty quiet decade. Didn't have any more kids, didn't move, didn't kind of like everything was sort of status quo. 2020 (laughs) to 2030 has all sorts of opportunity for change. I become an empty nester. My children graduate from college and now find their way out into the world. By the end of this decade, I could be a grandparent. I could have a daughter who's married, right? But interestingly in there, we had this discussion where both of my parents are still alive. Both of my wife's parents are still alive. Um, and And we had a conversation that says, statistically, we don't get out of this 10 years with all four still alive. Right. The likelihood is, is that somewhere in this next 10 years, some combination of those four people aren't with us anymore. And and that's and the significant change that that ultimately represents. Right. Um, and so it causes you to have a little bit of an appreciation that says, you know, uh, maybe this is a phone call I should make and I could probably make time for that lunch. And it's not just necessarily with those people, but it's with all of those people who 
you know, you, you, for whatever reason, you just, you haven't seen or you haven't talked to or you hadn't done and you should. Yeah. And there's been a level of emotionality that I've gained. I mean, I was a fairly uh, sensitive ish, emotional dude before, you know, all this, but you know, that's something now and it's not even, and this is probably at the risk of sounding sexist. Um, this is probably something that, you know, I think stereotypically men, you know, there's a stigma around, you know, being soft or, you know, that sort of thing with the dudes. Um, but that's something that I have another takeaway from this to your point is I think relishing the relationships you have, whether it be a, there be a familial or, you know, otherwise. And I now I'm at a point where I try to make sure the people that I care about know that I care. It's something I verbalize. Right. And I say like my best guy friends now, like on the reg, I'll be on the phone when we get done talking. I'll be like, I love you, man. I'll talk to you later. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and my wife will be standing with me sometimes in a public place and I go, okay, man, love you. Talk to you later. And you'll get that look like your wife's right there. Who are you talking to? You know what I mean? Right. And, and that's such right. a weird response, right? Because, yeah. you know, those are the people that like kept me alive. You know, my best friend, man, when he found out that I'd hit the deck, he lives in Frankfort, Kentucky. Right. Right. And well, Holly called him, you know, and I'm talking about it's a six hour drive to get here he's got two girls he owns he runs he owns he has his own law firm right like then mm-hmm. he, he employs people you know this is your world yeah, right yeah, yeah. um and i mean eight hours after he found out dude was in my room right like yeah. out, and out of nowhere right like this guy put figured out how to put everything down and he was here for two weeks mm-hmm. right and like yeah first of all how lucky am i second of all like I just feel like now I have this emotional and moral responsibility to make sure that I'm cultivating and maintaining those relationships that I was doing before. Like that's, he's my best friend, but you know, people that truly, I truly care about, I want them to know that. And I'm not afraid anymore. Like I don't give a shit what other people. Yeah. Right. Think it doesn't matter. Like I'm doing me like, and if you're not down with that, I don't care. (laughs) And by the way, you should do more like me, right? Like it, it is a good thing to basically tell somebody who's important to you to be like, dude, you're important to me. Your friendship matters to me. Yeah. I appreciate you. Right. And there, there is a big thing. I had a little bit of a period where, uh, I, I lost some friends and, uh, you know, lost them in circumstances, some unexpected, all uh, really basically unexpected, some by happenstance, some because of decisions that those people made. And, um, one of the things that we don't do as men, which I think is a real deal is we don't really actually look after each other. Well, and and ask the question to be like, no, I'm asking you seriously, how are you doing? You doing okay. Right. And I want to know that if you're in trouble that, you know, I'm a resource to you. Like, are you going to be okay? You know, and, and there are probably more people in your life than you know, that you should, that you should be, we should be checking in on each other that way, you know, um, and not be embarrassed about it. And the people who, you know, give you a little bit of pushback, you can ask a a second time. I had a guy who, who I had known in the community, I'd coached one of his kids and, uh, you know, I ran into him at a bar, um, on my way home from the club one night and it was just a different experience. It was just a different experience. Um, and it kind of didn't sit right with me, you know? Um, and I wound up, 
leaving, uh, you know, kind of saying goodbye and whatever and, and got in the car and actually sat in the parking lot and had a moment where I thought, should I go back in? Because that was really weird. And I thought, nah, nah, I'm probably just overthinking this. I went home and found out that the next day took his own life, mm. right? Now, I am not by any means suggesting that there was anything about my interaction with him that night where I changed that outcome. I'm not at all so naive as to even suggest something like that. However, it was apparent something was off. Mm. And somebody maybe in in that person's life had a different opportunity to um, – Maybe have a little bit of a have a, have a little have a little bit of a different outcome or impact, you know. Um, and and that really prompted me, you know, to 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 approach some of those kind of conversations differently and reach out to people um, and be sure that they know that it's all right, you know. And I'm and I, and candidly, uh, I think the only other person that's an adult male that I know that cries probably <laughs> more easily than I do is maybe John Boehner. Um, but like, you know, I am a soft touch, uh, when it comes to, you know, things that, um, you know, get me emotional, you know, yes, yeah, you realize that, that so much of it's fleeting. Yeah. Same. And, and, and you hit on two points that are really big deals for me. One is, is in your scenario, you described, um, how much of a proponent I am for mental health and people understanding that there are professionals out there that can help you. And there's nothing wrong with, right. Like the stigma associated with like, and the, the analogy I've said on this, and I'll say it on this podcast over and over again, cause I want people to be, to be burned into their brains for the nine people that listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> if you fell down and broke your arm and the bone was sticking out of your forearm, you would immediately take yourself to the hospital. There would be no introspection about whether or not you could deal with it yourself. There would be no sitting around thinking maybe if I just wrapped it up, if I poured some mercurochrome on it, like it'll be fine. You would go see a doctor when our right. brains break, right? Or our hearts break as I air quote that, right? Because that's just, it's your head. It's, in, it's your brain. Right. Right. In this country, we have this thing where somehow it's like the bone sticking out, dude, go Right. Go see somebody. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 it ca this came to me a while back because I had a friend whose son killed himself and mm -hmm. they knew something was wrong. Admittedly. Right. This is not me. And I'm not judging them. I would yeah, not yeah. wish this on anyone. Right. But they said after the fact, like for six months, son, they've been off and nobody said anything like nobody. And now those poor people have to live with the guilt of that. Right. Because they're for the rest of their lives, they're going to wonder if they'd have said or done something, could it have changed that outcome? And right. they're going to have to put figure out how to put that down, right? But right. those are the things that, like, it's like just... Which, not to interject, is a broken bone sticking out of their arm. 100%. And now they need to go through the process that they didn't elect to try to drive through with... And, and he was a 20, right? So he, he was a young adult at that point, but still... Um, but... <clears throat> So, so that's the first thing is like, there's nothing wrong with it. And I tell you, this is someone I'm speaking from experience for someone that was reticent about it because it's unknown. And then realizing after like two sessions that it was the greatest decision I ever made. Right. Like the impact from it is just monumental. Right. Sure. Um, and I'm not saying it's a, it's, it's a golden pill either. Right. It takes work, 
but I knew I was on the path. And before I was just sort of stumbling around the dark, right? Like I was still in the dark, but I had a direction, right? Like I felt like now I was moving in the right direction. So that, uh, that to me is a, is a huge part of the, just being aware of like mental, the, the mental health component. Um, and the other thing that's a huge part that I think we do a disservice and this has cost me relationships is our ability to be honest with the people that you care about. Now, I'm not calling my wife out on this, right? Because when we've had this argument, and I understand this is more nuanced and maybe I'm more black and white, but when things are uncomfortable, especially with people you know and care about, sometimes there's this reticence to attack these things head on. And I think if you're, especially if it's someone you're really tight with, right? It's the ability to, even if it's hard and at first they're going to lash out and that you know that they're going to punch you because you're coming to them with something that is not good. I think my responsibility as a friend is to take that hit, right? That's part of the job. So an example is that you've probably had this rhetorical conversation with people is, you know, a couple, your wife is really good friends with the girl through some other people. You find out the dude is sleeping with someone else and the hypothetical of, do you tell the girl? Right. And there are people that will literally have this debate, right? And be like, well, I don't know. And they'll be mad. And what if they don't? And it'll be me. And in my mind, this is as black and white, right? Like, I feel like if you love that person, I mean, there are her mental health, her relationship health, her physical health, right? With this guy running around doing stuff she doesn't know about. All these things are at risk. And you're telling me that what you're worried about is that it impacts your friendship. If you love that person, you have a responsibility, right? To tell the truth. Would you yeah. want your friend to tell, yeah. like, if it was you, would you not want your friend? If you, if somebody found out that you're one of your business yeah, yeah. partners was stealing money, you know what I mean? And they just did, you know, and at first you were, you told them no, and you called them names and all that. Like, that's a risk you've got to take. But again, right. I just think we've got to have more courage about uh, being honest with one another. And that sometimes right. is telling a guy that you care about, that you care about them and you love them and they're important right. to you. And sometimes it's telling them like, I saw your wife with a dude at a club this weekend. Right. Right. Like. And, and it, I just think it needs to be more universally applied and we've just got to try to be more honest with the people we care about. Yeah. It's, well, and the interesting thing about that is, is that you wind up in a circumstance where kind of to your point, what, what is the, what is our obligation to others? Right. And, and how much of that do we take on? how much of those obligations are voluntary, right? How many of those are sort of required by the nature of the relationship? And the, and if we were really going to assess our lives, we have people who come into our orbit and then leave it. And so the, our, our friend group isn't really static over time, right? That we, you, you have your adult closest friends but but there are probably fewer of the kid across the street buddies that are still in that same kind of tight tight group you know for sure um and and particularly in that circumstance where the relationship is using that scenario that you that you you know it's your spouse's friend's husband and it's sort of the guy you're the you're the awkward setup buddies <laughs> yeah because it's like i guess we have to be friends because the women that we each care about are friends right, right? um 
I, I want to go back to one thing about the mental health thing, because I do think it's often overlooked in the discussion about mental health. Um, you don't always wind up with the right person the first time. Mine was and my think, third. I yeah. went through three before so if, I hit it. Yes. So I think that sometimes people go into it with the idea of all mental health professionals are the same and there's really no difference. And I think sometimes, and the analogy that I would use is to use your broken arm analogy. If you show up with a broken arm and you, and you just say, well, what I need is a doctor. And you may find yourself in a urologist's office <laughs> sure. and he goes, sorry, dude, I don't do arms. Right. Um, <laughs> and so in order to get, to get the benefit, I think truly of what is a valuable doctor patient mental health relationship, it is being willing to say, this really isn't clicking for me. And I say that as a lawyer, there are plenty of times where I may not be the right lawyer for somebody just because my approach to the practice of law doesn't fit with their approach to being a client. Um, and so it's in everybody's best interest for that relationship not to exist. Um, and so I think that people shouldn't throw away the possibility that they get a, ben a benefit from mental health care just because they maybe didn't wind up in the first, the right office the first time. Yeah. And I use the analogy of dating. You know, it's like you don't meet your wife on the first time. Usually some people do. It happens. But, you know, usually you go out on a few dates before you and, and usually pretty early on, you're like, oh, this is it. So Amy, the girl I landed with was like that. I went to two and the first two I was, I actually thought, oh God, this is not like I, this is nonsense. Right. Right. And then after a session, really the first session with her, I was like, oh, like I feel it. Right. Like there's, right. there's something we're not, we haven't made a lot of progress yet, but like I, we're like wavelength, like I, we're there. Right. Like we're sort of synced up and I think this is going to be okay. And I do think there's sort of an innate, but you're a hundred percent right. And it's a great point. Like it, it it's not going to necessarily always be the first place you go and, and, yeah. and it's worth some effort, you know? So, All right. so do you, do, are you a uh, proponent of the uh, high school sweetheart equals long-term successful marriage? No, I think it's the opposite. It's the opposite. I think that the high school sweetheart more times than not is going to absolutely fail. Yeah. Um, I, I, because I turned out, I actually know more people that were high school sweethearts that are married than I thought I did. Like I, I didn't, you know, as I've started to meet people over time, they'd be like, oh, we've been, we've been together since high school. And, so, I, and now that I'm at my age, I'm like, God, that seemed like, it's one thing to be like 22 and to be like, uh, I'm still with the person I was with in high school. Okay. I get that. But I'm like, eh, you're 50. Like, <laughs> how, how, <laughs> like what happened? Let me give you a couple of caveats though. And why I think that's true. And it's not me being cynical. Right. And it's a guy that did the opposite, right. Got married much later, you know, in mm -hmm. life. Um, Relatively speaking, right? I was in my 30s, my wife, early 30s. My wife was in her mid to late 30s. Um, and we'd never been married before. Um, I think that honestly trying to do some self-evaluation that I believe that when you – college particularly is formative, right? Like – and transformative, right? Because you – your world expands, right? Your town that you're in, like everything gets bigger, right? World, I mean, my world, I was like the young Republican kid from the super small, you know how I am, like politically, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's when all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, 
Like you start meeting people from Sweden and Finland and Europe and New York and Chicago and, and Jews and, and Mormons. And, you know, just yeah. like I was around yeah. white Georgians that went to the Methodist church. You know what I'm saying? Like my yeah, yeah. world was yeah. as big as yeah. a thimble, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden your worldview starts to change. And then also I, too, I think when you go into your professional life, um, I just think that that 22 to 27 Right. Like you start to when you're truly independent, you know what I mean? You're generating income, you're doing. I just think that the change is so radical um, that the likelihood of two people being basically the lumps of clay that you are right in like a two lumps of clay will fit together because they're just right. lumps of clay. Once that's been fired in the, you know, in the flames of 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 adulthood life basically yeah. right a little bit the shapes yeah. start to shape differently and harden and i think that the likelihood of those two things fitting together after both people have gone through that amazingly transformative process are less likely right, right. um right. and that's it can happen, it, but it's less it likely. can happen i do it but and again it's not because i'm cynical or whatever i just think and honestly i think there are a lot of people where I mean, define works. Is it because they're still married, or is it because? Because frankly, and I'm not going to name any names, but I know people that are with their high school streethearts. They are absolutely miserable. They're still with them because a, and I do not want to get off on this tangent, but I have yeah. this whole book I want to write about societal constructs and how I hate yeah. societal con like society saying something should be some way for no other reason that some old guy behind a curtain he said this is it's going to be that way yeah. so where i've come from this part of the world right the south there is this thing that like divorce and you know what i'm saying like these things they're all taboo and you're not allowed and so they're still together but it's just because they've created this environment where they're not at all happy but there's no out way out because they've you know there are these rules that they're living by that say well we can't do that and then if you have kids forget it because then it's just like oh well we certainly can't split it for the kids and i've always made the argument too about divorce with children is that i think that is it not possible that you two hating each other in the house together is worse like you're worried about the kids mental right like what the impact of the child is from the family splitting up but if the two of you can't get along and there's just like palpable vitriol that exists between the two of you, do you think that's healthy, like healthier, right? right than you guys right. just getting away from each other and being happy. Right. Like I, ch I, I challenge that. I don't believe that's like these people that start talking about this nuclear family bullshit, right? Like it's like, Oh, right. well, if we could have two parents in the house, I'm like, well, what if one's a drug addict and the other, like, right? Like that's silly. You're making this all encompassing statement right. without detail. Well, and what you do want, what you wind up doing is in some respects, you're, you're everybody and many things in life. I think we take from the approach of wanting to bat for average, right? That <laughs> we recognize point. that there's going to be, there's going to be exceptions on either end, but for the most part, we're going to try to come up with something that works for a broad swath of people. And, and I think that, you know, so I have a friend who actually practices in the divorce field, and they were telling me that their practice is booming right now with all the pandemic stuff because it is the kind of experience where people go, this is not the way I want to live, that this is not like, why am I continuing to do this? You know, um, And it's kind of forced maybe a harder look that without that, maybe they, that figuratively speaking limps along. Um, 
but now they're like, you know what, I got to rip this bandaid off and, and you know, this isn't going to, and, and, and really in some respects, it's kind of like the, the person who says, uh, I want to change the way my body looks. So today, so today I'm going to walk to the, I'm going to walk to the end of the driveway. Um, and it's a start. Um, and so if you say I need to change the way that the most important relationships in my life work, I'm going to start by maybe having some of those difficult conversations, understanding that the outcome of those conversations may be, I have different relationships with people in my life. Um, and that can be scary for people, you know, that that's kind of uncertainty. And also I think the, to your point, the other reason why I think it's up is that people have constructed their lives to where they don't have to spend a lot of time with their spouse. And now all of a sudden you're in a situation where all you've got is time with them, right? Like they've made it. So we're both at work at the same time. And then you call your girlfriends and then I get, and I play video games with my buddy and then you, right. And we just sort of, will spend 10 minutes together here and there. And you don't, you know, I'm not around each other to know you can't fucking stand each other. Right. And then I I did say at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this, I said, it's like the opposite of that show. Love is blind. Yeah, exactly. Right. Where you're like, all I could do is be like, Oh, it's you again. Are we going to talk about this another time? Eyes are wide open. So, so, so look, I I don't want to make an awkward pivot, but we've been talking for a little while and I don't, if you'll stay and talk, that's great. But I want to be yeah, sens- sensitive I'm to your good. time. I want to, I have some comedy things I'd like to talk All to right. you about um, that I've always, that I have opinions about, which I know you're shocked. Um, but let's make the real, the real hard bridge to talk about the fact that, um, all this stuff that we've talked about decisions in life and relationships and, you know, tr- trying to use the time that you're allotted in life wisely that these are all source material for good comedians at terrific comedy clubs. No, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, there is no doubt about that. I actually, and just comedy in general, I think I've told you this before, but like stand up is one of those things where I am, I am fascinated by the craft of it, right? Like I love watching. So I'm sure you probably saw it, but like HBO did a thing a couple years ago and it was Chris Rock, Louis CK, Ricky Gervais and Jerry Seinfeld. And they were sitting around just talking about comedy. Right. And it was more about just the, the, you know, the craft. I mean, I like to consume it as well. Right. Just as like a, a patron, like I like to listen to people say funny things and laugh, but to your point, like I'm just fascinated with the craft. There's actually a guy I podcasted with a friend of mine named Danny Palmer, who's been a stand up in New York for like 10 mm-hmm. years. And we talked a lot about this and, um, but anyways, um, there are, I guess it feels like to me that this may be as cliche, but right now we really need comics where the world's well, at and and we need humor we need laughter well yeah but i think right. there are people that generate that but what i'm saying but let me be specific and i'll tell you why i think we need comics because i do think that my experience in listening to people talk about the craft is is that comics that i like or that i think are particularly good what makes them particularly good is that they are more so than most people particularly observant right it's it's part of their job right to be aware And then to also be able to take this data that they bring in from observing the world and to rebroadcast it right in some type of way that in this case is funny. But, you know, most comedians that I think are really good, there's message in there, right? There's intention, there's that sort of stuff. And so 
I think the funny part's good because we need to laugh because it's good to laugh when times suck. But I just feel like great comedians and I bring up, which is, again, tripe or trope at this point, but like Chappelle, right, and listen to him do his thing and hear the threads of reality that are operating inside of this these jokes um, that are so poignant and important at these and not just critical because of covid but critical because of the state of politics critical because of the nature of society and where we are with one another just all these sorts of things and and i don't i mean do you as a com as a comic do you think about it that way or is it just like "Mm, i can get a laugh with this (laughs) uh so it's an interesting it's an interesting question because for me i've always started from the proposition that I that when I am hired to tell jokes, my only job is to produce laughter from the people who are listening. That's what I get paid for. I don't necessarily get paid to educate. I don't necessarily get paid to ch- change opinions. I get paid to make the people in the chairs laugh. So many of the things that I have opinions about um, that are societal things, I am, I am more likely for you and I to be laughing about something, um, that's more of a, an issue in society per se, um, than I am to put that material on stage because of what I've kind of created, um, life anecdotal type material, you know? Um, that makes up the guts of of my show. So it would be weird to be like, eh, isn't it crazy to take your kids to a softball game? And why are we kicking people off food stamps? Right? Mm-hmm. Like those two, those are weird, you know, places to connect. Can I interrupt um, you? Can I interrupt you for one second? So I will yeah. say too, you can always tell a joke, like when you can remember a punchline. And I will say, having seen you do your thing, I still to this day in my head, no. So now we have a pony. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. We won't have make uh, Jamie tell the joke, but you should go see him. And there's a yeah. chance at some point down the road, you'll get to hear that joke. But when right. you hear, yeah. so now we have a pony, you'll know what I was talking about. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I have, but I will say that I have found that I'm writing more now. Um, and I, and I think it's kind of like for me, I found over time Right. Like, well, like particularly as it relates to social media. Right. So if you were to if you were to look at Jamie on Instagram and only Jamie at Instagram, that is a very different person than Jamie on Twitter. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really a kind of a different person than Jamie on Facebook. Right. That I've kind of made silos of of how I'm expressing myself. Right. And so I really do kind of write. I flesh out a lot of joke ideas and stuff in, in, I use Twitter for joke, for joke writing. That's one of the places where I'll, I'll try to experiment with ideas and kind of use an outlet on the want to say stuff part. It's not fit in my jokes necessarily. Um, that, that's at least how I do it. And then I, and then at least in, so you mentioned Chappelle as an example what I'm what I'm really interested in now is looking at those things, looking at those things and saying, okay, if you if you if you printed out Chappelle's most recent special in the backyard about the Floyd stuff, yeah, and you just read the transcript, 
and and you didn't have the Chappelle identity behind it, how does it hold up? And I would make the argument that in that example, it holds up really well, right? It doesn't fall apart just because it's not being said by the person who's saying it, which to me is really the good mark of of, of the strength of the material and, and what somebody's saying. And I respect it just because it's like, those are chances, you know, you talk about I'm letting my hair grow to get outside my comfort zone, watching sometimes comedians work and go, wow, you can't actually get away with saying maybe more than I'm, so maybe I'm only using 1% of my comedic abilities because I've put myself in some constraints about what I can say on stage or not. And, uh, and it may be a way bigger playing field than I think it is. Um, well, I mean, it's also too, too about like, what's the risk and what are you trying to get out of the, taking the risk? I mean, because, you know, Ch- Chappelle, uh, I mean, listen, I think at this point his intentions are not, I mean, he walked away from like the ethics of something caused him to put $50 million on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't, sure, you know, so, so right? So, right. So, but I think for him, you know, and he's obviously rebounded, but he's taken, you know, I think when he talks about these things, he takes risk right now. Some people say, you know, well, he's rich, so who cares? But he's still a human, right? He still needs interaction. He still doesn't want people to hate him. Like, this is the thing when I have this conversation about celebrities and people like to throw up all over, you know, people for giving their opinion. I'm like, man, these are people. Like, I get it. They're famous. They probably have a lot of money. But they still, you know what I mean, love their parents, want their kids to do well. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are humans, right? So just, but, you know, he's obviously taking a massive risk sometimes when he says some of these things. Yeah, but so, okay, so, and this may come as a newsflash to people, <laughs> all people have poorly formed opinions <laughs> about a lot of things, Absolutely, right? And we have a handful of opinions that are well-formed. Yeah. What we need to do is we need to take our well-informed positions and put them in front of other people's poorly informed positions and let things work themselves out, Right. I, I, I feel like um, part of the challenge of where we are right now, kind of in this in the way we communicate with each other, um, is, you know, you talk about earlier when we were talking about having hard conversations. We have made conversations that should be easy, very, very hard, unnecessarily, right? And it is okay. I should not be threatened by whatever your opinions are about religion that may differ from mine. Right? I, in fact, I should look at it the opposite and go, how lucky am I to have a person like this in my life who comes at this from an entirely different perspective, and yet we still find value in our relationship with each other? Um, so I, I'm a proponent of more hard conversations and as a byproduct, a lot of these conversations will come significantly easier. Yeah, and I, but I think the challenge is, not but, agreed. The challenge comes in, though, at least my experience is, is when an alternate opinion is one thing, but the other thing is when I feel like the alternate opinion is harmful or right or detrimental to others. So to give you an extreme example, <laughs> um. And it's just, again, this idea of people saying, well, you're not tolerant. And then I'm saying, yeah, but like tolerant doesn't mean you necessarily let everything in. Right. Like there are some things it's okay to be intolerant of. So uh, we we have given 
participation trophies to shitty ideas <laughs> all over the place yeah. where they should not have gotten a trophy. Like you, you lost your idea lost. Your idea was rejected. We're not going to revisit that. Like, sorry, dude, that's out. But people and, will tell you, right? Like, so like, let me just pick one. Like I still know people I'm from a lot of small, different small towns. I'm not going to say I still know people that, for example, believe that white people and black people shouldn't get married. Right. Me rejecting that opinion does not make me intolerant. It makes you a racist. Right. Like that's and, and again, but people will try to like say like, oh, well, you should be tolerant of his opinion. And I'm like his opinion about. No, I shouldn't be. No, I'm not. Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I I don't I I guess and maybe this is too fine a line too fine a way to kind of try to thread this needle right is I'm aware that there are people who hold that opinion I acknowledge that that person I suppose has a right to that opinion right in the broad way that we can air quote right to that opinion they don't necessarily have the right to have that opinion treated equally to others. Agreed. Right. And I, and so, and that's the part where I think we've kind of lost that idea where you go, you just, that's just, no, you (laughs) no. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know how to express it other than that to just say we have, and, and you, and I'm sure we could fill up a whole bucket of, you know, um, of ideas that that fall into that category and 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 somehow we have reached a place where it's almost as though people are emboldened to share their worst opinions 100 percent, right and it's like how did how did this like where does your shame radar not go up and 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 be like, oh, I shouldn't say that out loud. I can tell you right? what I can tell you where I think it comes from. It's the it's the anonymity of the internet, right? Oh, hundred percent. It is hundred percent. I've said it on this podcast before, long before there was even a, such a thing as the internet. My papa, who had a third grade education but was one of the wisest men I've ever known in my life, said to me as a young man, "Son, it's amazing what people will say when you remove the threat of getting punched in the mouth." And that is the truest thing. Like people say things that I, and unfortunately for me, I was raised to where I'm, if I thought I I was going to say something that was, someone was going to punch me in the mouth. If I said it to him in person, I don't, I feel equally uncomfortable typing it on a thread on Facebook because you know, that's just how my parents raised me. But there are people that don't have that, man. They just are behind that keyboard and they're totally safe and they just let it rip. They don't care. Yeah. And it's and and unfortunately, I feel like that it's getting worse. It's just it's not getting. And I don't know. I honestly don't know what what is the end of that. Like, where does that get to? Right. So if you were to if you were to say, and I don't know that you could throw a party like this, but it would be an interesting experiment (laughs) to basically throw a party and invite a party where you print it out the comments that people wrote on threads. Oh, and amazing. Said, okay. Here's your stack of comments for the last month on Facebook. 
and you have to stand at the front of the room and read them out loud. Amazing. Those people right? wouldn't come to the party. They would not show up. You'd have to no, trick no, them. No, no, you don't tell them. You'd have to trick you them. You just invite yeah. them to the party. You're coming to the, you're coming to the house. Hey, we're going to do a fun activity tonight. What are we doing? It'd be like, I handed you a stack of papers. You got to read them, right? Wait, this and, is a reality TV show. I'm not releasing this podcast until we make a sizzle <laughs> reel and pitch this. Until we turn this, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, right, you would be, people would be horrified. I think if the if there was any other person in the room, of right? Of course. And and you didn't you weren't allowed you couldn't um, have any additional exposition on the comment you wrote. You couldn't say, "But I meant to say this." It was like, "No, dude, this is what you said." I love it. And I and I and it's just I, I you know. That's the part that makes me feel most frustrated because I'm a, such a big believer in being a part of your community and being engaged. And, you know, there's so much to be grateful about and thankful for in, in every place. Right. Um, and somehow we've 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 just sort of accepted like just junk, you know, and just kind of this garbagey so we have the veneer of gratitude right i can go into every place that sells arts and crafts i can buy a throw pillow that says gratitude right (laughs) and the person who's buying it is basically going you're stealing my rights because whatever they feel like the rights are being stolen about and i'm like well which is it is it the throw pillow or is it the (laughs) stuff you're writing on your buddy's thread yeah no absolutely so along those lines, you mentioned earlier about the right to say, I want to look at this in the other direction and see how you feel about. So what about when people, maybe they do say the wrong thing, right? Or having a, you know, have say something that untoward or awful, right? Or do something awful. And just this whole concept of cancel culture, right? And especially this is generally along the lines of obviously celebrities and that sort of thing. But where it goes the other direction where it's like, okay, you met, you said something awful, but now we're going to effectively try to burn down the, the barn. Right. Like, do you feel like, cause unlike a lot of my liberal brethren, like I am one of the people that are just like, look, I may not agree with what that person is saying, but I don't think they need to be, I don't think the, I don't think the punishment for the crime should basically be like crucifying their career. Right. So, uh, so obviously a lot of it is in context, right. And it's the sort of, I I guess the, the particular circumstance. So I do feel like one of the things that bugs me, and this will kind of get towards what you just raised Sometimes you'll turn on a television, let's say, or you're looking on, you know, you're listening to whatever, and they'll talk about a controversy that exists over a a gap ad, right? Whatever. And what you find out is, is that there were two people who tweeted that they didn't like the gap ad. And all of a sudden it becomes a thing. And in those circumstances, I want to say, it's not actually a thing. Like, it wasn't a thing. On the other end, you do have some person who kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, steps in it, right? 
And I think what we, what we struggle with, and I don't know that we have an answer, right? And I don't know that you ever get an answer, but we'll use, um, let's use Deshaun Watson or Deshaun uh, Jackson rather from the wide receiver, right? Who apparently had some tweets and that were anti-Semitic or whatever, right? Well, yeah, um, wait, one before I think public service announcement for all of my listeners, general rule of thumb, don't ever quote Hitler. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Just as a general rule. I don't actually know what the tweet was. So, so I'm using an example he, where I don't actually know what the controversy he, is about. He attributed right? a, some, he said something Hitler said. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so my point is, is that there are things that people say where they kind of get kind of, I don't want to say they get caught up in the moment. But you kind of get caught up in the moment, in the moment, meaning a, a, a circumstance in time, right? And they think, I want to add my voice to the conversation. And, and sometimes I think of, I, I do think of social media as a party where if you open the door to the party and you said, I believe this is the case, and they left the room. <laughs> right. So it's like you what 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 did you just say? What is he talking about? And then people get talking about, well, he think he said this and what he really meant was that and then da, 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 da. and the person who said the thing bailed. They're not even engaged in it anymore, right? And it sort of <laughs> now takes on this whole craziness. So I think there are people who say things and they say them maybe with the intention of being provocative. And, and their intention behind saying the thing that they say, writing, and when I say say, I'm inclusive of writing, right, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, is they're saying it with the purpose of provoking that reaction. In other instances, I think there are times where they say something and it's driven by really being, candidly, poorly educated on a subject and not being aware of being poorly educated on a subject. So it's almost like a kind of negligence. And, right? and ignorance and, by definition, right? Ignorance by definition. Yeah. And for me, there are certain times where I maybe will think about something or I'll have an idea about something and I do this crazy thing where I look it up I just look it up <laughs> and I go, Oh, I was wrong about that. Or, Oh, I had no idea. Or, Oh, I'm really glad I didn't say that. But the most important thing I think that everybody needs to remember on some level is if you have a target on your back for whatever reason, it either you put it there yourself or circumstances of life put it there on, on your back. There are people who, in essence, their full-time job is to be engaged on that subject matter and to be engaged on that issue. And unless you're willing to commit to the same level of engagement on the issue, it might be better to stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Right? Because you know, so um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think if I thought I had a platform, I might try to use it in a way that I think was beneficial for people, right? Um, 
I think what most people find out is, is what they thought was their platform isn't. Right? Just isn't. Mm-hmm. I got thinking today, and I and this is totally an aside, but it's, I guess, kind of an ancillary to what we're talking about. I was listening to one of the bumpers for uh, the Rush Limbaugh show today. I was in the car, and Limbaugh was on, and I'm kind of interested to see, you know, obviously he's sick, and it sucks that he's got lung cancer and whatever. I'm interested to see how what's going on in his personal life and with his personal health how that would impact at all what is probably an unanticipated end of his career, right? Um, and I, I get the sense that that's kind of how it's trending, unfortunately, you know, in the same way that Alex Trebek, everybody's interested in what's going on with Alex Trebek in Jeopardy, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the bumpers was, um, had something to do with whatever it was. And I thought that an appropriate bumper for him is um, often imitated, uh, never duplicated, and that there are a lot of people who are kind of knockoff people in the same way that a comedian gets imitators, you know, that who stylistically want to be like him. And they're, they're kind of unicorns. There's not going to, there's, he has sort of a singular place. Right. And I think that people sometimes think, well, you know, I've got a thousand followers. I'm kind of just like Rush Limbaugh. I can say this <laughs> or whomever. Right. And you realize it's not the same. Yeah. You're not, it's so different. You know, don't go there. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking, though, too, like the other question is, is like, what's the statute of limitations on? It's like one of the things I was thinking about particularly lately is the Jimmy Kimmel thing. Right. Like 20 years ago. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, yeah. he did a skit where he, you know, was in and that's the thing like i almost feel like too like i guess it technically is in blackface but it's again not like he was like doing a right like he did a skit where he was dressed up as a black basketball player and you know like it turned into like him apologizing and he took a leave of absence and i'm like jesus christ like do we not have like you know i feel like and i'm not saying this because kimmel's a liberal guy and he's somebody that i don't necessarily but it's like what is that the is that is that my question is, is that right? Is that the right punishment? Is it that Jimmy Kimmel has to go on an apology tour and he's got to take time off from work and he's got to get destroyed and raked over the coals? Cause 20 years ago, like he was in makeup and for a comedy bit, like, so, all right. So let's, so I've never really thought about it. So this is kind of a, an idea of first impression, right? Yeah. I, I had read an article. It happened to be something about climate change And in the article, there was somebody who was arguing for the fact that it's not the job of the present to solve the future's problems, that the that the people of the future will fix the future's problems. And so for us to say, but what happens when there's no Miami? (laughs) And and the answer to that is for the people who live then live in a world without Miami, they'll figure it out. It's not our job. So. And that sort of resonated with me. And I thought, you know, there's some, there's some value to that in the same way that it wasn't necessarily the job of the people of the past to fix our problems of today, right? That the, that the people who live in that time sort of live within the norms of that time. And that hopefully, I, w- I would like to think that over time, we get smarter, not dumber. And what we recognize is, wow, those attitudes or those beliefs or those things that we thought were true then turned out 
not to be. I don't know then that it's the job of the present to fix the those kinds of incidents of the past. I don't know if that works in both directions, right? So the the people of the present, you can deal with the Jimmy Kimmel of today, right? To use to continue your example, right? It was the job of the people existent then to fix the Jimmy Kimmel of then. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I get it. And I guess I see, I maybe challenge that idea too, because like, okay, the future, like how far, like tomorrow's the future. So like how, how, how far do you stretch the analogy? Like, so I don't know, but I just hadn't thought about it that way. I was like, okay, that's a great point. Right. Like, you know, I don't, it wasn't so clearly, was there a city planner in terminus <laughs> who should have figured out we needed a we needed more lanes on four hundred, right? We needed more. That wasn't ma- there. That wasn't there more trains. You mean better mass transportation? Yeah, that, that you know, and so you could go and you'd be like, dude, what's what's the deal with that? The flip side is is that you could go, well, if we're gonna name the transit system, eh, maybe we shouldn't name it after that Confederate general, right? <laughs> those are two. Those are two different things. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I, again, I just I feel like. To me, I don't know, like, I just think, again, because of the internet, which is honestly the best and worst invention that's ever, it's an amazing dichotomy. It's the best and worst thing that's ever been created, I think, right? Like, technologically. Um, So the the interesting thing is, is that you, you, so in comedy in particular, Right. And to just take it out of the context of it, just to use Kimmel as an example. If Kimmel's all com not all comedy, a lot of comedy ages poorly. Right. It is really, truly the number one thing that people say about comedy is what? I guess he had to be there. <laughs> and and what and what's interesting about comedy is um it's a surprise, right? So when done well, comedy works at a level. So when we started talking tonight, which is kind of interesting, you're describing having an active thought about, I need to keep breathing. And on some level, your brain and your lungs are like, oh, well, no shit. That's what we do, right? So you're like, no, we got to do this. And you're like, we're, we're kind of on the job. We're, yeah. we're aware of what we're doing. Right. Um, Likewise, comedy goes and gets you again when done the best. It's gotten the reaction out of you before you have the recognition. Right. It's why when you know a joke is being told, like we all tense up. Right. Because you're like, oh, God, I hope this is, oh, geez, I know what I'm supposed to do when I get to the end. I, I really hope this works. Right. That's miserable. But take it out of that moment, print it up, and treat it like it's a courtroom deposition, and be like, is it true that you said this? You'd be like, well, did you not type in, audience laughed, the audience <laughs> laughed a lot, the audience laughed loudly, right? There, there's a, there, in the context of the moment, there was something that worked about it. Now, having said that, I will fight you in the street, to, to use the phrase, that you can either use the power of comedy 
to be inclusive or you can use the power of comedy to be exclusive. And when you use comedy to be exclusive, which are the jokes that are maybe based in sexist ideas or racist ideas or anything that's in that kind of derogatory zone, you are using the power of humor to say, we're in the group, those people are out of the group. Or you can say, let's make the group that we're in the biggest, right? Um, and, and those jokes that are maybe where there's the power portion of comedy, you go back and look at over time, and those maybe are jokes that hold up least well time period to time period to time period. Yeah, and I, but I think the challenging part, though, is is sometimes because you I mean, I would agree there are different levels, right, of complexity in comedy. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. you know, what's green and red and goes 100 miles an hour. Right. Frog, right. frog in a blender. Right? Yeah, right. To like right. a like a, a, a 10 minute Carlin rant. Right. Which is on like a whole right. other level of genius. Right. Like those are two very right. level. Or- or when your district manager pulls you aside and says, hey, did you hear the one about this? And you're like, oh, dude, you're getting us both in trouble. Stop talking. You're breaking every diversity training that we have ever held. Why are you doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but sometimes, though, unfortunately, like there's so much subtlety to me in comedy along with complexity that that like exclusive versus in- inclusive can even get really like – a not as learned or aware person will not get it. Right. Especially when you start talking about satire and right. Those sorts of things. Like, Oh, totally. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, right, you know, right. so like I give you like Gervais, right. Who I think is hysterical, but his angle is to say all the wrong things like he means it, but the audience is in on the joke. Right? right, because they know he's mocking. Right, right, this thing. Yeah. But to your point, if you print it out on paper, it's like he's just talking about how rich he is and how he's more important than other people. And yeah, like what yeah. is this? And it's like yeah. no, no. There's you've got to you you're don't, missing it. You're missing. You're missing the joke. You're yeah. not. You don't. Yeah. You're not seeing the complexity of it all. And right. that's where I think it gets confusing. But so to your point, though, about the about the cancel, you know, whatever that phrase means, the cancel thing. Um, what do you, you and I don't mean this. I don't. Again, I, I'm, I struggle with it sometimes to be careful about how you say it. But um, what are you what are you trying to accomplish? Right. Like what's the what's the what's the end goal? It, it, so, like, in, in a true crime context, we assign punishments that are somehow related to the severity of the infraction. You talking about? You talking society, about? You talking about what's the end goal of the people that are trying to cancel whatever? Right. Okay. How, yeah. How that okay. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So you know, so you basically say, well, a speeding ticket you're you're paying a fine and it's a point on your license it's up to this speed and then you get into the next one and it's a little bit more and it's more points and you know after an accumulation of points you kind of lose your license right there so you you and that's distinct from murder right and and whatever so i feel like sometimes we we um i did used to make the joke about the idea that our leading 
you know, people always talk about things that we've uh, lost. We've lost so many manufacturing jobs in this country over the years. Um, and I said, with it, with the exception of one industry, which is booming, and that's the uh, manufacturing of outrage. Um, <laughs> and, and, it, and it seems like that's the case, that everybody has, has, has kind of decided that um, we, will all, we will all be aggrieved about something. Um, and, I, and again, I feel like there are certain things, there are a lot of things that were tolerated, I guess, for a long time, unnecessarily. Right. So you, you, I have a many, many friends who will, and we're certainly wandering far afield here, but for years, we, I had friends, you may have had friends who, when you talk to them would say, what just happened on camera with that police officer and that person has happened to me, my family, my cousin, Uh, this has been happening for years and people have been trying to tell you that that's what's been going on. And now technology in some respects has caught up and said, oh, wow, this is maybe more, way more pervasive and there's validity to all of these stories, right? And you go, well, no kidding. When, when the, a lot of the Me Too stuff was going on, I don't know that I've ever met a woman who hasn't had a story about something that was wholly inappropriate that happened to them in the workplace, that happened to them on a date, that happened to them, in a, that, they, that this is their experience. There is, it's your grandmother, it's your mom, it's your sister, it's your wife. It is every woman you know will tell you, I have had one of those sketchy things. So I, I, I don't wanna be you know, dismissive of the fact where you go, well, look at what happened to Harvey Weinstein. And you go, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's had that coming to him for years. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's a, you, in some respects you go, well, it's about friggin' time. Um, and I, and I just think that that's a, it's a weird, and I hate, and I, and there, and again, not to, not to use that as an example, but there's probably somebody that's running a far smaller business and is maybe a shift manager at some business who is a junior version of that. And somehow it's been tolerated for whatever reason. And it shouldn't be. Well, right? Yeah. And it's totally different if someone's committed a crime, right? Like he's a sure. criminal. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like yeah. that's, that's, yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and thank God, you know, those kinds of things and the exposure, but I, but again, like, I don't, to your point, like what's the motivator? Like, that's the thing is I do think that like, for example, Jimmy Kimmel, let's go back to that. Um, is it a problem if there are people in the world that want to normalize the idea of white people in a mocking or de- or a destructive or a demoralizing way to paint themselves up like a black person? Is that an important lesson for young people to learn that that's bad? Of course. Of course it is. Right? Of course we don't want to do that. Is that what Jimmy Kimmel did? Eh. I don't think so, right? It was a bit. I mean, you've got the total opposite, which you got the Wands Brothers doing white girls where they're in, you know, white face, and it's right. it's a movie, right? It's a movie. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a dicey, you know. I don't think that, uh, but again, I think that some of that is driven by the fact that we don't necessarily have good. I don't want to say structure. We don't really have good structure to sort out some of those ideas, right? But that this, we that we essentially have reaction, we have correction. 
we have secondary reaction. We have, in some instances, overcorrection. Um, but are, and, and I, yeah. Well, but I was going to say, but so are there some people that are out there tweeting about it, talking about it, you know what I mean, Instagramming about it, and their driver is this has been going on for a long time. It wasn't always innocent, right? Even when it was innocent, it wasn't. Everyone just accepted it. We're trying to make everyone aware that this is a bad thing. People shouldn't do this. Yes, there are people that have a mission. They're trying to educate. It's an important lesson people should learn. But then there are other people that aren't trying to do any of those. They just want to be a part of the mob, right? Like, That, to me, is the part that I struggle with, right? And a theme that I talk about a ton is, and I've been reading about a lot in the last year, is about these concepts of tribalism, right? And how we like to cut ourselves up into tribes. And I despise it so much so that I'm now starting to, like, reject and push away from these group tribal think type of circumstances because i think that they inherently do us tons of damage right like that's one right like oh well i'm going to be in the tribe that you know like these couple of people are trying to make a salient teachable point about you know painting yourself black and going on tv is a bad thing and i'm going to go run over into this mob or like now it's with politics right it's like we've all of a sudden it's this idea of teams and how somehow that like your own individualism doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to defend a team. Like I, I'm on a team and I got to stand up for my team and my team can't do anything wrong. And the guy that's running my team, like even though he does something stupid every single day of his life, I can't even concede the fact that he's an idiot. You know what I mean? Cause he's on my team. Like, I just feel like that shit's so well, destructive, right? It yeah. makes me crazy. So what, what, what kills me about a little bit of that. And, and again, I, I, I think that the, I would say it's better so I, I guess what I would default to at the end is I recognize I recognize that people that that I am the only person having my experience in this life, right? And that that the experience of every other person that I interact with is different. And that where those differences are cause I don't want negative things in my life, right? And I and I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I don't want I, I want to eliminate threats to my to go back to what we were talking about. I'm built to I'm built to live, yeah, right. And so I'm trying to include those things in my life that continue my life and then bring meaning to my life, bring fulfillment to my life, bring happiness to my life. Right. And I want to eliminate those things that challenge that. It is fair to assume that every other person I interact with essentially has the same objective. That's really all they're trying to do. I I want to make it to tomorrow. I'd like to be happy when I get to tomorrow. I'd like to have some fulfillment tomorrow. And what you and I have talked about is some of that is we put constraints on ourselves we limit ourselves, um, and 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 whether that's we take on things unnecessarily or we don't challenge ourselves to do more, right? But when it comes to that sense of belonging and that notion of tribalism, 
and that and that notion of wanting to have place is it's disorienting. I so to, to, to continue on with the idea that you talked about about technology and whatnot. I think some of this stuff that we're doing right um, actually drives us away from each other, and so we're creating we're creating not false tribes, but we're putting ourselves into tighter boxes. You're only on my team if you actually believe all the same stuff I do. And if you opt out on any one of them, you're off the team, bro. Like, we don't believe that, right? You're out. Go find a different tribe. Go find a tribe that actually believes that, believes that exact set of stuff that you do. And that's, I don't think we're actually really built for that. That I think we're not built for, right? Because that ultimately leads to isolation. Um, what I, what I, I guess I go back to what I originally started. You and I should be friends as long as our friendship bats for average, right? <laughs> are we, are we, are we more aligned than not at the places where in conflict, does that conflict still bring us towards some resolution of stuff? Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And I think if our reaction is, I don't want to go there, right? I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to talk with you about racial issues or religious issues or because one it may be uncomfortable two it may not last uh it may damage our friendship puts us in a weird place what'd you think about the race game last night <laughs> right yeah yeah no uh, i hear you so when do you think um we're gonna be able to buy tickets to the punchline and look at some comedy again well I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Isn't that tough, Every man? Time. I feel I honest, and I mean this. Like I, people like you, and you know, I have lots of friends that own restaurants, you know, and stuff. It's like I can't. I mean, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I got laid off because all this stuff, and I'm doing it too. But I mean, you know, it's not just you know. I try to tell people with business owners, especially small bits. Like it's not even just you, right? There's people that work for you. It's like there's just a lot of lives entangled in in those things. And I know this is an incredibly difficult circumstance and especially probably as much as a, that it's unknown is it's not you know it's not like the place burned down and you get like a construction timeline you know what i mean and you know you it's build all- the building you <laughs> reopen you whatever it's, yeah uh, it's that's the part that so but that's the so that's the uncertainty right that's the ch- that is the challenge so i'm not entitled to assume that I get to spend the rest of my adult life being the guy that owns the punchline. Mm-hmm. It's, it's possible that there's something that comes along in society that makes my business obsolete. I don't think that it's this, but again, I still think we're in the top of the first inning. So, so do I, and what's, and what's fascinating about it is so I've had the great pleasure of having good relationships with some really funny, professional, funny people, right? If in your group of friends is not somebody who makes you laugh harder than anybody else, you're missing somebody in your friend group. Yeah, agreed. Right? That, my, that I laugh harder about more stuff in more meaningful conversations with my close friends than I ever do with my professional peers, which is not to say that I've had the pleasure of being in some really funny rooms when some really funny things have been happening. But what's interesting about my product specifically 
is you don't actually have to get it from me, right? I'm selling laughter. Well, you can get laughter from your next door neighbor. You can get laughter from your best friend. I hope you get some laughter from the person who you're in a relationship with, right? Uh, I'm happy that I've been able to do this for, this is our 17th year of us owning the club. But and do I think I'll get another 17 more? I do. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I think we'll get there. I think that this is going to be a weird thing in time. Um, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it looks like next weekend. I don't, I don't have any shows next weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of – and also, too, like one of the hard things, and I've sort of struggled with this a little, like watching you know, some – things I watch especially shows on TV that are sort of comedy oriented because like you know a lot of musicians that I know have obviously taken to sort of these live online things um but like I feel like with comedy it's so hard because the crowd and the energy and all that is such a huge part of it like totally. I, like watching you know I, I, Bill Maher's show for example is something I've watched for a lot of years and you know I guess there's a little bit of getting used to it, but like the, the, his like new rules, you know, is the bit he does on the back end of his show where he's basically telling some jokes without the crowd. It just doesn't work. Like, and it's funny. Like, again, it's tough. I guess you had to be there. (laughs) It is a, it is proximity. It is, it is no joke. It is comedy. The, what you have to be there. Right. It's not just you had to be there in the moment. It's why a bit ages poorly. It's why you go back and you go, why did they ever make that joke in the first place? And you'd be like, as a product, it So if you look at a joke as a product, right, that's, that's all I'm selling. My joke is my product. Would you like to buy one? And when the audience laughs, they bought it. Yep. And they were satisfied with the purchase. <laughs> if you come back 10 years later and be like, why did you buy that joke? And you'd be like, I don't know. It was hilarious at the time. It was fun. like, don't, you know, so if, if you're, if you're, and, and again, this is very thin ice to tread on. Right. But if you're going to cancel the person who made the joke, then in theory, you should be equally as willing to cancel the person who laughed. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Right. Because you can't just you just can't negate one part of that, you know, and which is why. And again, I don't want to use the context of, you know, doing the kind of blackface stuff and whatnot, but just just material. Generally, comedians, for the most part, never get the benefit of apologizing for a joke. Right. That's it's just the pound the pound of flesh never pays off the debt, right? Um, so it raises the question of should you ever apologize in the first place, right? Which means that there, you know, and that that opens up a whole other can of worms about what you should be joking about, what you shouldn't be joking about, and subject matter and joke creation, and it's why I wind up telling jokes about softball games and ponies. Yeah, but I th- yeah. like I'm a believer though that I want our comedians to ride. Right. Like I want them to, I want them like three quarters of their foot over the edge of the cliff. You know what I mean? Like I, just me personally. Right. Like I think it's important and I'm on on the cliff. No, I know. Again. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I want to force them to do it. I'm just saying that I like it when they do. Um, and I, and and I I also do think it's important because I think a lot of times they're putting a message out there that needs to be said. And I think that it, Comedy gives you a packaging sometimes where you can deliver very serious themes in a safe way. 
right? Because it's under the veil of humor, right? Um, but I'm also one of those people. Well, that, that's all art farms, right? So, so realistically, course, if you look at it, of course, right? You go, well, that's why we need painters. That's why we need people to write folk songs, right? It's why you need, you know. So there is a place for the boundaries. I, you know, I'm I'm going to make the assumption, and I'm well out into area where I'm ignorant, but I'm going to assume for the sake of argument that most of societal changes on many subject matters were driven initially by creative expressions in that area, either through literature, maybe it was through art, could be plays, right? Yeah, of we, course. That's how, we, that's how we work through stuff. I mean, I've been, re- I've been listening to Rage Against the Machine a lot lately, right? Like, that mm-hmm. is the, that is the, that is anarchy music, right? Like, that is, they are all about, the. I mean, the, the title says it all, right? I mean, right. that's 20 years later now or whatever. It's 25. Right. Right. But, um, and it turns out a lot of people do have Rage Against the Machine. They do, but it also turns out that there are some people that listen to Rage Against the Machine that hate everything that Rage Against the Machine stands for, but are too dense to understand what Rage Against the Machine is talking about. And that's a, there's, there's, to me, there's, a strange humor and sort of Freud in the irony of, you know what I mean? Like seeing someone that is not at all raged against the machine, really right. liking right. rage against the machine. They're not even raging against their cargo pants. That's right. And it's hilarious. <laughs> but I'm also one of those people again, and you're right. I'm not the one telling the jokes, but Holly and I've had this argument. Like, I don't think any topic should be off limits. I don't believe like, you know, the whole thing too soon. Like, no, it's not too soon, right? I, now, can people do it wrong? Yes, right? But I think intent if the intention's right, you know, my deal with humor for me is is that everything's fair game, right? It's about, to me, it's about intent. This, though, to me, is about everything in life. Like, I, ev- and I've put this on Facebook not too long ago. Everything in life is about intent. Mm-hmm. Everything, right? Literally. If I know what someone's intention is, I can deal with everything else, right? Because mm-hmm. if I'm talking to my buddy, excuse my language, right? This happens all the time. Um, I'm talking to my buddy and he's just like, hey, man, I um, just got tickets to the Red Sox, you know, at Wrigley Field when I was going to be in Boston. I went, fuck you. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. My intention there is not to be hurtful to my friend, right? That's an right. expression of me being jealous and being happy yeah, right. for him and all that. Right. But if I just walked up to my buddy and was like, hey, fuck you, right? Right. Same sounds. Right. Totally different intention. And so, but I think that's the thing with, to your point about, I love the whole idea of transcripts. Like that's a great concept is taking words and putting them on paper and understanding the difference. Right. And that's why online stuff also baffles people because there's no tone, right? There's no kind, you can't, can't type tone. Right. So people will just make the assumption, but I just try to challenge people all the time. Like, when you read something and if it makes you happy or if it makes you mad or if it makes you confused or whatever, like try to see if you can figure out what the intention is, right? Like start there and see like, all right, what did this person intend, right? By what they're saying. Cause some people can say very nice words and the intention is not very good. Like, totally. like, totally. like, oh, God, like, that's the worst. Bless her heart. 
bless right. her bless her heart yeah you know yeah. so start at the intention man you know like that's what i is like i'm challenge everybody listening to this it's like whenever you read something and it sits real with you is think about where the person the speaker was coming from and what were they intending to do and i think it would help either unwind or wind some of the things about what you should and shouldn't be so bad at well so in the criminal context we supposedly have innocent until proven guilty. Right. Right. But yet people are very quick to assume. And I used to hear it all the time that the police never arrest innocent people. They only arrest the guilty. So if you hadn't done anything wrong, you wouldn't have been arrested in the first place. My position is everyone, everyone, has to understand that the system works fairly for everybody, for anyone to have faith in the system, right? So even the worst of the worst still has to get a fair trial, still has to be proven guilty to ensure that when the innocent are accused of a crime, they too can have some faith in the outcome. I feel like what we see in the way in which people treat online stuff is you are guilty until proven innocent, that we, that we have eliminated the whole – I mean, nobody gets benefits anyway. So <laughs> one of the benefits that we have eliminated is of the doubt. Um, and so it's always assumed that it was the work because tone is missing, because all I'm seeing is the word on the page – we assume that they wrote it in the worst way <laughs> I'm reading it. Right. Right. Which is crazy. Like, why would, why would it be reasonable to assume that every other person is out there wanting to do bad stuff? Nobody goes to a cocktail party with the intention <laughs> of ruining the cocktail party. <laughs> Some people do. Yeah. But not many. So, but that's the minority. Tiny and bit. they don't get invited to a lot of parties. That's right. Right. You know, so they go with the intention of, I'm going to try to be charming. I'm going to go try to be informative. And I, and they step in it. And you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, that is a bad dude. Right? Uh, absolutely. Should, you know, so, but we need to fix it because it's go, we're totally going in the, I feel like we are going racing in the other direction, racing in the other direction. And at some point, this podcast will be able to be listened to in a post-2020 election time period. And there will be some outcome of what that election is. And there's going to be a significant portion of the population that's not going to be overly psyched about what the outcome is. Right. And that's I'm not saying who wins it, which whoever that turns out to be. We that is that is going to be very challenging for some group of people. Um, And I don't know that we're well equipped to to manage that in the in the way that we could be, you know, and that's not good. Nobody, you know, well, well, we can start by into your point, maybe listening a little more, telling the people you care about, you really care about them. Uh, yeah, I've missed talking to you. I've loved this conversation that we're having. Yeah, tonight. it's been great, and yeah. we're we're right up. Yeah. I, I want to get let you get um, back to your 
family and um we're right at about two hours and i appreciate all the time we've done com- a complete season three this is great um but <laughs> the best part is though is i want you to come back to 2.0 because like i feel there's a like i had a whole list right here of things oh, okay. that we didn't even we i didn't even i didn't even get there yeah, no right. like and that's great right, right? that's always yeah. a good sign but it means there's more stuff for later so look if people want to find you i know your twitter is at jamie the host right um, yes which which if you go there, that's that's me sorting out my societal lifey kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the articles that I find interesting, it's the people I and you know, have Twitter spats. <laughs> I enjoy your I enjoy your, your Twitter spats. Yeah. Um uh then um I know com, right? If uh Yeah. You know, if they right. can find out if you, you know, if you own a company and you want to hire Jamie to do, make people like laugh. Me to come in and speak. I can write, uh, I can, if you are a person who gives speeches and wants to make them funnier, I can help you do that. If you need an attorney, um, Bendel and Mednick, is that right? Yeah. Um, is this law firm. law firm? I mean, you yeah. know, basically this guy can give you jokes. He can give you legal representation. He can give you speeches at civic events. Like he's peddling a lot of stuff over there. Uh, I do, I'm a people person. I know. I love it. I'm a people um, person. I like being with people. Um, but uh, I'll put all the links to his various things in the description of the podcast. So you know, you guys go say hi. Um, thank you very much for being here. No, this was awesome. Um, and this we, is awesome. And we will uh, do it again. So thanks, How's everybody. Jeremy doing? He's doing good. We're going to talk about that in a second. So thanks okay. everyone for uh, sticking around. Um, it's always fun spending a little time with you guys. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Sean ATL. Um, at TMI pod is the podcast and it's on all of your podcast platforms, which you know, cause you're listening to it right now. Um, and, uh, message me if you need anything. I love you all. And until next time, press on. Oh.